I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to John chapter 1. We are continuing to look at John as we uh, read the Christmas story from a little bit of a different perspective. We were in the first five verses last week. This week we'll be picking up in verse 9. John chapter 1, I'll begin reading in verse 9. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the Word of the Lord. If you are much of a music buff, you may like music trivia and know that there is a category of music trivia called One Hit Wonders. Uh, These are musicians who had one song that became very, very famous and then no other song after that. Uh, One one hit wonder from the 90s was a woman named Joan Osborne and she wrote a song called What If God Was One of Us? And the whole song poses this question that what if God was like us? What if God came to dwell among us and walked around with us? What would that be like? The message of Christmas is that God has done just that. That he came to earth and he has become one of us. And this is a scandalous idea to most of the world. The scandal of the incarnation. The fact that God would become flesh. The scandal of the incarnation is really too much for most people to really handle. They would say, surely if God was going to take on flesh, the whole world would have recognized that. Everybody would know. Nobody would doubt. People would have seen him. They would have known it was him. Yet most people missed it because the circumstances of his birth were so ordinary. The light has come into the world, John said. But the world did not know him. It's interesting when you read John chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, the idea that the very people who should have known God, his own people, the religious people, the people who for thousands of years had been looking for a Savior, they did not recognize him. Actually, they were the ones who missed him, and it was the shepherds who recognized that something spectacular had happened. And not much has changed in 2,000 years. It was the religious people 2,000 years ago who missed the Messiah, and it's often the religious people today who are at the greatest risk of missing him. You see, our response to the scandal of Christmas is to sanitize the story. We want to clean it up. I love what C.S. Lewis says in A Grief, Grief Observed. Images of the holy easily become holy images. My idea of God is not a divine idea. It has to be shattered time after time. He shatters it himself. Could we not almost say that this shattering is one of the marks of his presence? The incarnation is the supreme example. It leaves all previous ideas of the Messiah in ruins. But we want to take the story and clean it up. 
We want to scrub Jesus clean of all of his humanity with the hope that we can lock him up in the sanctuaries and in the cathedrals. Because the truth be told, our favorite Jesus is the eight-pound, seven-ounce baby Jesus. We like that Jesus best. We like Jesus best when he is lying in a manger because he doesn't say anything when he's lying in a manger. We prefer to keep Jesus on the stained glass and out of our homes. We like to keep him in a porcelain manger set and out of our schools because as long as Jesus remains an icon, we can run his church and our lives the way we want with little or no interference from him. See, at Easter, I find it ironic that Christians celebrate the fact that the grave could not hold him, only to turn around a few months later at Christmas and try to lock Jesus up in a manger. But the problem with Jesus, the problem that the people had 2,000 years ago with Jesus is the same problem we have with Jesus today. That's that Jesus just doesn't seem to stay put. You see, the grave could not hold him, and the manger will not keep him. Jesus coming into earth in a barn, laid in straw, born to some refugee peasants. The point is that he came into our reality just the way it is. There's an important message that God wants to communicate to us. That he meets you where you are, not where you should be. Some of you have this idea that you think, well, when my life is straightened up, when I get rid of those bad habits, when I'm doing the right thing, then maybe I'll make room in my life for Jesus. But that's not why he came. He came to meet you in the filth of your life. Let him into the dirty places of your world. Because it's only when you let him in that he will pull you out. See, God has revealed himself in flesh. God did come and live among us. We know what he looked like. He looked like Jesus. But 2,000 years later, we may be asking ourselves, well, what does Jesus look like? If God looks like Jesus and Jesus was born 2,000 years ago before Instagram and Facebook, how do we know what he looks like and how do we recognize him and, so that we don't miss him today? The reality is that it may surprise you the disturbing disguises that Jesus wears in our world today. That he still appears in the simple and in the lowly. He still appears in the places where you might expect him the least. The biggest problem most people have with the idea of the incarnation is that God in all his divine power would come down and somehow be reduced to a man. But the reality is God was not reduced. He was restrained. That God chose to limit himself in the form of Jesus. And Jesus, when he was leaving, said that he would choose to restrain himself and limit himself into the lives of those who were willing to follow him. That's why John said, and he gave the, those who would believe in him the right to be called children of God. That's what this is about. That's why when Jesus left, he said to his followers, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. 2 Corinthians verse 5, verse 20 says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Can you imagine that? 
that God has somehow chosen to make his appeal through you and through me? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says that we are invited to participate in the divine nature. Think about that for a minute. I don't know how many of you woke up this morning and just got out of bed saying, I feel divine today. But that's what you've been invited to participate in. You've been invited to participate in the divine nature of God. This is why Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, verse 21, the kingdom of God is within you. It's no accident. It's no accident that Jesus said the kingdom of God would be within you. The idea that Christians who accept the truth that God was in Christ find that Christ from whom God came dwells inside of us. That the incarnation isn't just something that happened 2,000 years ago. The incarnation happens over and over again. The incarnation is an ongoing reality. That Christ's incarnation now exists in millions of Christians all at once. That the Savior currently goes about doing his work as he lives in the lives of all who believe in him. On all who call upon his name. All who are now called the sons and the daughters of God. If God looks like Jesus, then according to what Jesus says to us, Jesus looks like this. Jesus looks like you. He looks like the church. You see, Paul said, we are the body of Christ, and every one of us is a part of it. That you and I are the church, and the church is the ongoing manifest presence of God in the world today as it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. We become the Word made flesh as you care for those who are in need, as you give water to those who are thirsty, as you feed those who are hungry, as you visit those who are in the hospital and in prison, as you remember those who are neglected. You are the body of Christ. See, the motion of God throughout the scripture is always from word to flesh. From word to action. From that which is spoken to that which can be seen and felt and touched. Beware of anybody who tries to reverse that flow and attempt to reduce flesh to just a bunch of words. Because that's the point of the incarnation. That the word became flesh and came to dwell among us. And the word speaks down through 2,000 years. And it becomes flesh in the ministry of his church, in your ministry. Joan Osborne's song asks this question. What if God were one of us? She goes on and says, just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. Well, the reality is, Jesus didn't come to earth and ride the bus to try to make his way home. He came to earth to help you find your way home. 
that we might find our way to God, that we might recognize him and know him and believe on him and receive him and be called the sons and daughters of God and be the manifest presence of Jesus in the world today. That's the invitation of Christmas. And it doesn't happen just once a year on December 25th, but every day of the year. As we accept God's invitation to say, God, here am I. I believe in what you've done. And because of the power of Christ in me, I yield my hands to you, Lord. I yield my feet to you. I yield my mind to you, my eyes and my mouth. I yield everything that I am to you. That the world might see Jesus in me. And see you in him. Will you pray with me? Father, we're overwhelmed by the powerful message that the Word has become flesh and dwelt among us. And yet, for us, 2,000 years removed from the reality of that historic event, sometimes, Lord, we are tempted to just take that flesh and put it back into words that we read at Christmas time. And yet, Father, that is the exact opposite of what you've called us to do. To realize that because of what Christ has done, because of his life, because of his teachings, because of his death and the power of his resurrection, that you have invited us to be his followers and to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world today. Father, that each of us are invited to be Christmas in our homes and in our offices and in our schools and on the streets. That, Father, we may serve those in need the way Jesus would serve those in need. And, Father, we readily admit to you that we've dropped the ball and we failed and we fall short over and over again. And so we're so grateful for your grace. We're so grateful for your forgiveness and for your invitation to, to pick ourselves up and to move forward and just continue to seek to live our lives in such a way that Jesus might be born in us, that the world may see him and know him. Father, for those who are here today, who are wandering in the darkness, who have yet to recognize the light, to believe in this one, Jesus, the Son of God, Lord, today I pray that the light would pierce their darkness and that they would not just receive Jesus as their Savior, but Jesus as their Lord, that they might surrender themselves to be his hands and feet in this world. Father, we invite you during this time, this time of invitation, for your Holy Spirit to move, to speak to us, and to draw us to yourself, and to show Jesus to us. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.